0: The energy. I am done talking about Mac Jones. As far as I am concerned, Mac Jones is no longer on the New England Patriots. The passion. I am very, very happy that the state of Vermont has legalized sports gambling. I just don't know if after my weekend, I can partake in it anymore. The opinions on all your favorite teams. This isn't Craig Breslow's fault. The Red Sox are not the Red Sox of old, but it's an ownership directive. Direct your anger at them. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEB WDEBRadio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Friday here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEB AM and FM, and WDEBRadio.com. Almost a full show tonight. We're up till 645, then it's high school basketball, playoff action, Montpelier and Lake Region tonight. Brent Curtis will be on the call there, so a lot of good stuff happening. Uh, around the state again when it comes to high school hoops. Finish out the girls' hoops regular season this weekend. Get you some brackets there soon as well, and we'll have girls' playoff action here on the Friendly Pioneer. So we're up till 645. John Becker is going to join us, the UVM men's basketball coach, about 615. A lot of stuff on UVM hoops today. right? We're going to do kind of a heavy dive on UVM. The men win yesterday against Albany. They are... A win away from a share of the regular season title. The women destroyed Albany in a game that I didn't see coming. That's one thing for them to win, and it's another thing for them to win by 30. They did that at Patrick Gym. We'll talk about that as well. Some stuff from Jason Tatum with regards to the MVP race. We also got some stuff on the Red Sox who played today against Northeastern and won that game in their spring opener and kind of that annual pro college showdown stuff on the patriots it's got a lot of stuff to get to over 75 minutes you can get in 802-585-3026 that's 802-585-3026 that's the text line got a bunch of texts actually that came in yesterday kind of right at the end of the show i want to address some of those as well i am here you are here danny is here danny let go five four three
1: two one and here
0: we go the opening thoughts on the Brittany Farkas show are brought to you by Six and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont and upstate New York's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They are online at sticksandstuff.com, Rouses Point, New York as well. Danny, let me, can I, can I go a little story time at the beginning here? Because I think I caught some very weird, I think I'm in the middle now, of some very weird and unnecessary, like, internet drama. Little beef? I, I think that some people have beef with me, and it's very very odd. Can I let me let me tell a little story here? So UVM beat U Albany last night on the men's side, right? Ninety four to eighty, and with the win, UVM went to twelve and one. It was a good good game in a lot of different ways, and we'll talk about it. But there was a kid for U Albany. His name is Tyler Bertram and he's played at multiple different schools in his career, right? He started out at Charlotte, then he was at Binghamton, then he was at UAB, and now he's at all these four schools now in like five years. But his kid's a knockdown shooter. So if you were watching the game last night, you saw it. He was at 1.7 of seven from three, and he ended the game with 27 points. I mean, and he hit 10 threes in a game earlier this year for Albany against UMBC. So this kid was going off, and he was – He was doing everything, right? Like, he was hitting shots off the dribble. He was hitting shots from three feet behind the line. He's hitting shots off screens. He's hitting shots in the corner. Really good performance. Well, I noticed on social media last night with about eight minutes to play in the game. Eight minutes to play in the game. And this game is close, right? It was like 67-63 at the time. With eight minutes left in the game, the UAlbany basketball Twitter account puts out this message. They write, was there ever any doubt Going 7-of-7 from the three-point arc and and leading the team with 27 points, Tyler Bertram is today's Broadview FCU game-changing performance. So they put out their player of the game. The UAlbany Basketball Twitter account put out their player of the game with eight minutes to play in the game and included his stats. And I simply, like quote tweeted it. Basically, like, I didn't reply to them. I didn't call anybody out. I just said, seems odd to put this out considering the game is not over. Right? Like, seems odd to put this out considering the game is not over. And in my mind, that's a, not only is it a harmless comment, it's just a true comment. They wrote that this kid went 7 of 7 from 3. Well, what if he went 8 for 8 from 3? What if he really went 10 for 10 from 3? What if he went 10 for 15 from 3? Well, your you're fact there... Very well might be wrong. You've got that he led the way with 27 points. Well, what if he led the way with 42 points? What if he led the way with 31 points? What if he scored one more point? Now your graphic is wrong. And, by the way, that was a four-point game around that time, right? Like UVM's only up by four. What if Albany hits a buzzer beater and it's another kid? Well, why can't that kid be the game-changing performer? So I'm like, this just seems odd to make this decision on who your player of the game is with eight minutes to play. And that that's all. And then this morning, I see on social media, the UAlbany sports information director like basically writes back to me, I don't know this guy, don't know who this guy is, don't know this guy's name, did not message this guy directly, did not tweet at this guy directly. I just kind of put out into the universe, I thought it was odd. I don't know who put it out in the universe, but apparently it was this guy. So this guy gets back to me. His name is Taylor. He gets back to me on social media, and he goes, it goes out before the game is over in order to make it onto the broadcast. I guess they mean like the ESPN3 broadcast. Why the SID has to feed the broadcasters that information, I don't quite know. Why they aren't capable of picking it themselves with two minutes to play, I don't know. But nonetheless, that's what he says. He says, our job in communications goes from zero to 100 as soon as the game ends. You have to finalize stats, run press conferences, game recaps, etc. Anything that streamlines that process and helps us leave before 1am helps immensely. That was his answer. Okay? Like, I work, now I, I'm sensitive to the plight of athletic communications people, right? I've often told the story that I worked at Norwich for a year. And I did athletic communication So there are late nights, many nights at Kreitzburg Arena. I didn't leave until 11 o'clock at night, right? Because of you're doing all the things that he just said. And it's even more so at the Division One level. I worked in another school, Misericordia University, in Dallas, Pennsylvania. Many I was running soccer games and field hockey games until 9:30, 10 o'clock at night on a Friday. Giving up my Friday or Saturday night. So I get it. But I didn't tweet at you, buddy. You decided to come and respond to me and tell me how difficult your job is. I get it. But, like, still, it's odd to sit here and say the player of the game has been awarded with eight minutes to play and put out his stats as if they're final when they're not. And he ended up missing a shot, and he ended up seven of eight. So now your graphic that everybody sees is going to think that he went seven of seven from three when he didn't. He went seven of eight from three. I had I wish he would have scored six more points, and he really looked bad at this rate. But so then – Somebody else gets in on social media, someone else I don't know, and says, one of the things I really got frustrated with when I was in athletic communications was when people would try to tell me what I was doing wrong. I would never go to another person and tell them how to do his or her job. First off, this guy gets into the fray, and that's that's fine. This thing that I don't even think is a harmful comment, these people are now taking offense to and Now this guy's buddy, clearly, comes in to defend him and says, when I was, I was at SID, I really got bothered when people did my job, told me how to do my job. Like, a.k.a. Brady, stay in your lane and don't talk to me about my job. Well, one, I didn't talk to your buddy about his job. I put out a, a tweet into the universe saying that this was odd. I didn't say your buddy specifically stinks at his job. I don't even know who's doing the job. I just thought it was odd. And that's what social media is for. Just like you can come and and yell at me, I can say that social media, I can put on social media that it was weird. But when this guy says, I would never go to another person and tell them how to do his or her job, Danny, I'll believe that for a second. I don't believe that for a second. Okay. People text and call into this radio station all day, every day, and tell me, Brady, I disagree with what you said. Brady, I wish you would talk about this. Brady, I wish you wouldn't talk about that. Brady, I didn't like that guest. Brady, I liked that guest. Brady, I want you to do more of this. Brady, I wish you would go here. I wish you would do that. I get calls every day, all day, and texts from people telling me how to do my job. I don't believe for a second that this person is holier than thou and has never called into sports radio or messaged into sports radio and disagreed with the host. I don't believe that for a second. Every single time, Danny, that we watch a game and we say that, man, Mac threw it to the left. He should have threw it to the right. You're telling a guy how to do his job. When we say, why did Bill Belichick do that? We're we're questioning how he does his job. You're telling me this guy's never been a fan before and never talked to a person never never said to his television how to do how to do your job differently or better I don't believe it and finally, Danny, I, I like to consider myself a pretty easy to please patron right When I go out to eat, I consider myself an easy to please patron. you know I don't like sending food back. I don't like asking for this, that or the other but I've done it before, okay? I remember I was at Outback Steakhouse once, and I sent back a steak because it was too undercooked, right? I thought I was going to get sick. I I like a little pink, but this thing was moving still. And I sent it back, and I felt guilty about it. But if you've ever sent back food in a restaurant, you are telling those people that they are not doing their jobs appropriately. If you have ever complained about a manager or complained to a manager about somebody, you are telling them that their job that their employee did not do their job appropriately. So this person who wants to tell me they would never – tell someone how to do their job is absolutely full of it. I don't believe it for a second. End rant. End rant. Well, actually, no. One thing. I will say this. I will give the guy credit because he's absolutely right about being in athletic communications. One of the things that did frustrate me about that job was when coaches would come to me and complain. I, I will give him credit for that. Coaches used to come to me and complain. Danny... I was at Misericordia, which is a D3 Catholic school in uh, Pennsylvania. They were very good at women's soccer, very, very good at women's soccer. And they were playing a ranked team in, you know, like they were ranked like number six and they were playing like number two or something. And I was keeping stats for the game, right? And my stats were the official stats because we were home. And the way soccer works is that it's not really a shot Unless it gets to the net, right? Like if it's a shot on goal or if it's a shot that goes wide, if it's a shot that's kind of made with the intent to score and had a chance to score, you get to record it as a shot. If it, if you kick it from 65 yards out and it gets blocked right away, it's no longer, a sh- like it's not a shot. Maybe you intended for it to be a shot, but it got blocked and it never even got close. Well, so when the game ended, like I had Misericordia with like six shots because that's all that got through. And this guy wanted them to have, like, 30 shots. He's like, well, look, we shot from here. we shot from... I'm like, they didn't get anywhere near the net. He's like, yeah, but it looks really good for our recruits if they see that we can generate that much offense. I'm like, so you want me to lie? I'm like, you want me to lie and say that these were all shots when they all got blocked? That really bothered me. But this tweet has has triggered me today, because these people think I'm going after people when I'm not, Danny. I don't know if you think my story is good, lame. You feel for me. You're on their side. But 802-585-3026, I had to get that off my chest, Danny.
2: I would say they're more triggered than you. The I first reply I, I, seems a little sensitive for for uh, nothing tweet. You responded to something public.
0: Yeah, I responded to something that was in public, and like I said, I I don't know these people. I didn't say, like, Danny, it would be like.
2: You didn't say do your job better.
0: I didn't like, say you do didn't your job better, that. and I don't know who's doing the job, right? Like, I don't know who's who's in charge of the Twitter account. I didn't say that Twitter admin sucks. I just like, that seems weird. Tech says, tell this Taylor person to relax. Um, that kid, Bertram, had a great game. Uh, if he does it in the tournament, then you can prop him up on social media. Look, I don't mind them having a player of the game. They said he's their broad view center player of the game clearly they have it sponsored like i get it right this guy is someone's paying them money the broadview people are paying them money to be attached to player of the game you have to have a player of the game even in the loss i get it right this is this is like me saying this is our casey's bagel high school player of the game well casey's Bagel's giving us money so now we have to attach them to the player of the game i get it do it when the game's over do it when the game is over that was the thing that was the most asinine to me of all um all right, story time is over. Let's talk a little bit about the game itself. Let's talk a little bit about the women here also. The UVM men beat Albany last night 94 to 80. As a result, they are now 12 and 1 inside league play. They have a two-game lead in the American East Conference with three games to play. Home against Bryant on Saturday, home against UMass Lowell uh following and then on the road at New Hampshire Tuesday, March 3rd, or whatever it is, I think. So that's where the regular season is going to end. If UVM wins on Saturday against Bryant, they will have wrapped up at least a share of the conference title. At least they share the conference title, and they're closing in on the one seed. I do believe that they will get it, knock on wood, but they're closing in on it. Last night was a very, it was just a very interesting game on a lot of different levels. One- I've never seen a kid at this level go off like that Bertram kid yesterday. I do give him a lot of credit. The the people running the Twitter account might be a little goofy, but that was a great performance. He was at 1.6 for 6 from 3. He was 7 of 7 from the floor. And I've seen guys get hot, right? Like I've seen Anthony Lamb go for I think 40 at UVM. I don't ever remember like not missing I've seen Steph Smith go for 30 in the playoffs. We saw Deloney go for 32 last year against Brown. Guys have had big games. But, like, 10 for 15 is a great game. This kid was not missing. So it was a weird game in the sense that it was so high scoring. Like, we're used to seeing UVM play games that are, like, this year, like, 69-64, 68-62, 61-51. This team has not shown the ability to score easily, and they do play good defense, and yesterday was kind of the opposite, especially in the first half, right? Like, UVM puts up 94 points. I didn't think they had that in them. They give up 80. I didn't think they had that in them in league play, but that is evidently the kind of game that Albany wanted, right? Like, it's very clear that Albany's M.O. was to push the ball up the court, was to move as fast as possible, and was just to try to outscore you. I don't think that Albany really cared much about playing defense. I think they want to get steals. I think they want to force you into turnovers. I think they want to do all that kind of stuff. But in terms of playing hard-nosed fundamental defense, I don't think that was was of any interest to them. So I was surprised to see the nature of the game being so fast, being so just up and down. And I'm going to ask John Becker this when he joins us at like 6.15. I'm going to say, like, Coach, did you enjoy the track me or did they take you out of your comfort zone? I don't know what his answer is going to be to that. Right? Like I, I want to know if he enjoyed playing at that pace or if that was uncomfortably fast. It felt to me watching it like it was uncomfortably fast, but ultimately I think you Albany tired themselves out. I was listening to Dwayne Killings, their head coach after the game. And he said, look, like we only run like seven guys deep. We were exhausted by the end of the game. Like, well, coach, if you were exhausted, why did you push the pace like this level? If you, if you only have seven guys, why did you try to play at this level? So it was just an interesting game, kind of stylistically, how it was played. Also, UVM got six players in double figures. As a result of this fast pace and these high, sco- you know, this high scoring output, six players in double figures. The last time that happened, Danny, for a UVM team, was in the year 2022, the 2021-2022 season. They did it in the quarterfinal against NJIT, and that very well might have been the first year that NJIT had moved into the American East Conference, and they weren't particularly good. So six players in double figures is rare. We saw it from – let me see off the top of my head. We got uh, Shamir Bogues led the way. Hurley was in double figures. Deloney was in double figures. Um – Long enough. was in double figures. Illyria Iofalia was in double figures. That's five, Danny. Who am I missing? Matt Verretto? Now, Verretto finished with nine. He was Ooh. almost a double figure, so that would have been seven players in double figures. I'm, I'm missing one other player here off the top of my head that's not coming to me. Long,
2: Hurley, Deloney.
0: Long, Hurley, Deloney. Shamir Bogues.
2: Illyria.
0: Illyria Iofalia. Maybe Fiorillo? Yes. I think it was Fiorillo who got there. And by the way, Fiorillo did some cool things yesterday. Like, great passes, but also had, uh, also, um you know, dribbled to the basket, right? Like, usually Fiorillo, we see him as a post-up player or a three-point shooter. He had one play yesterday. He was great. Just put the ball on the floor, got to the bucket, and finished, which was very, very cool. Great tipping
2: before the half, too.
0: Great tipping right before halftime. That was big, and that, UVM was only up four at that point. They ended up the first half leading by six because of that play, so. That was big, so six players in double figures. I thought offensively UVM did some nice things, right? You're going to look at it and say, oh, 94 points. Of course they did nice things. I I think it's more complex than that. I think the nature of the game led to a lot of buckets, and Albany kind of playing willy-nilly at times led to some buckets, but I really did like UVM's passing yesterday, Danny. Several backdoor cuts, several good backdoor passes, there was the – Fiorillo pass to uh Fiorillo pass, I think, to Shabir Bogues that ended up with a dunk. There was an Edelarifalia dunk. There was a Sam Alamutu dunk going. I mean, there was just several good passes that led to big plays. I want to give up uh give some props to Deloney because this game got uncomfortably close at sixty seven sixty-three. And then UVM kind of got back on a 10-0 run. Deloney hit a three, Verretto hit a three, uh, or Deloney hit two free throws, Veretto hit a three, Iofalia got a dunk. All of a sudden, now it's like 75, 77, 63. Deloney kind of steadied the ship again one time as UAlbany made a big run in the first half. Deloney hit a big three. So, you know, there were a lot of different elements to this game to like. The other thing I want to ask Coach Becker about today, Danny, is about the rotation. He has always said that when he gets to the playoffs, he wants his team to be at kind of like the final eight, maybe nine. I want to know if he feels good about his rotation right now, if he feels good about the roles that people are in, because we have seen the roles kind of shift here. He's been fiddling with the lineup, trying to figure out exactly who works and when and for how long. Matt Verreto didn't start again yesterday, Right. Played less than 20 minutes. We've seen a game where TJ Long didn't start, I believe. We've seen games where Deloney moved back into the starting lineup. We've seen Fiorillo into the starting lineup now. Jace Rockamore didn't play yesterday. I presume he was sick. We'll talk with Becker about that too. But basically, you're looking at kind of a nine-man rotation, and I bet when Rockamore is there, there's less minutes for Sam Alamutu. That would be my guess, right? So you got- He played well yesterday too. Sam played well. Sam Alamutu is very, very athletic and he does a lot of things kind of as a combo player, right? He can, he's physical enough to guard down low and play down low, but he's quick enough to be on the perimeter and guard out there also. I really do like Sam Alamutu's game, but I think we're at a point now, long, Deloney, Hurley, Fiorillo, Iofalier. That's five. Jace Rockmore would be six. Um, Danny, who am I missing here? Deloney. No, I said him. Okay. Um, It's never good when you try to do this off the top of your head. I'm looking at the lineup
2: right now. I can't remember who you said already. All
0: right. So, Deloney. Yeah. Iofalia. Mm Mm-hmm. Fiorillo. TJ Long. TJ Hurley. Jace Rockamore. That's six.
2: Did you say Bogues?
0: Bogues and Verretto. That's eight. There we go. And then Sam Alamutu would be the ninth. Right. So, that's kind of where I think we're at. But I think when we get to the playoffs, I think you're going to see Alamutu, you know, for five minutes or less. I think you'll see Brenton Mills, not at all. And I think that's kind of the lineup that we're going to see. But I want to ask Becker about that specifically and kind of see where we're at. But he's always said he wants to get into the playoffs with an eight, maybe a nine-man rotation and feel good about where they're at. And I think he's pretty much there at this point. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Danny, play me the uh, – uh, the uh, iofolie dunk here, because this was pretty impressive, him going baseline uh, in the second half, went right to the rim. It's one thing to throw it down in transition when no one's around you. It's one thing to throw it down when everybody kind of falls around you in the paint and you're just kind of left there. This was driving off the dribble, baseline, defender in his face, finish over somebody.
1: Yeah, but you're right. That's 65 63, that's, that's where you go back. And that's where you go back to. Falia oh. gets a dunk on the
2: baseline and a foul on Amare Marshall.
0: Danny, you were very offended by the way the U Albany broadcaster said Elyria IO five. I mean name.
2: the entire game he was just Folia, or sometimes Folly And
0: there was no IO <laughs>
2: N- <laughs> never. Never. They thought it was a middle name or something.
0: Because I was watching it. I watched the whole thing, but sometimes I'll watch games on mute because I'm doing some other things or I'm checking in on other stuff. So I didn't hear all of that, but you texted me. You're like, I am so offended by how they're saying his name. O'Leary, IO, Falia.
2: It almost bothered me as much as early in the season where they were calling him Delani. I
0: don't remember which game that was. That was Bradley. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: The entire game.
0: That was the Bradley game. What's interesting too is that that broadcaster for you, Albany, Cause the home team takes care of the television broadcast. So the broadcaster for Albany is, is Roger Wyland, and he's a, a legendary sportscaster in Albany. He's been doing you Albany games for 20 plus years. He does the local news as well for the NBC affiliate. He, I was his producer back in the day on radio. Um, my first job in Albany, as I've said was, was, or my first job in radio was in Albany and I spent like two years there. You know, I was part time the whole time I was there, but I was doing a bunch of things. And then he came over from another station. I became his first producer, like his first producer at that station. He'd been doing radio somewhere else. But, uh, yeah, that's my old, I, I guess I would call him my old partner. I guess I was his old partner, technically. But if I had known that. You know, I, I don't talk to him much anymore, but I would love to tell him, hey buddy, you're saying it wrong, and you're doing it consistently, and Danny Hoops is very, very upset
2: with you. Yeah, yeah, but no, don't tell people how to do their job, though.
0: That's right, don't tell people how to do their job. So, yeah, uh, Aliri Iofalia had a good, a good game yesterday, and uh, the Cats are 12-1. and 1. Speaking of good games, Danny, the UVM women destroyed Albany yesterday. Right? Like that game at Albany when they played, UVM won, but it was like a three or a four point game and it was down to the wire. And yesterday UVM won on their home floor by 32. 67 to 35. We knew that UVM played good defense. 35 points allowed. I don't ever remember seeing a division one game against like, you know, like opponents with that low of scoring. It's one thing like if you talk about the worst team in in Division 1 against the number 1 team, then you could see that. But against two teams that are generally on the same level, to see a 35 point output, that is insane defense by Lisa Kresge and her team. For this Caton team to score 67, is a lot because they are not built that way. They are not a great offensive team. They're not a great shooting team. And they put up 67. They held Albany to four points in the first quarter. They held them to just nine in the fourth quarter. Albany was 11 and one in the league in, in that game. 11 and one coming into that game. And UVM beat them by 30.
2: The only other loss was last time UVM played them.
0: Right? There, there, there's, here's kind of the situation. UVM's eleven and three, Albany's eleven and two, Maine, I believe, is twelve and one. So Maine has the inside track at the you know at the the number one seed. I believe Maine and Albany have to play each other again. So see what happens there. It's likely that UVM is going to get the three seed. They could get the two though. If Maine beats Albany, UVM would move into the two spot. And I would be very, very happy about that because at least you could host a semifinal on your home floor, right? You still have to go on the road to Maine. But you could to a semifinal on your home floor. Um I'm thrilled for the for the cats that they won this game. I'm pumped they made a statement. I'm thrilled they have a chance now to get that number two seed. Even an outside chance at the number one, but more than likely the number two. That would be a great accomplishment. But Danny, I can't help but think about missed opportunity as well. If you've shown me that you can win against Albany by thirty, how did you lose to Binghamton, who was like three and six or something? They're going to look back – UVM is going to look back at this season in league play, and they're going to realize they had a double-digit lead against Maine at Patrick Jim the other day and let it slip, and they're going to realize that they got beat by a Binghamton team by nine points that entered that game at 3-5 and in the league. And I'm just very, very disappointed that rather than celebrating what I think could be a number one seed – We're going to sit here and talk about the missed opportunities that prevented them from getting the number one seed. It's still a great season, but I really wanted the, uh, the top, you know, I really wanted that top spot in the league. By the way, Maine got beat yesterday by UMBC. So they are 11 and two now in the league as well. So Albany 11 and two, Maine 11 and two, UVM 11 and three. Now the cats have lost both games to Maine they still seem like they will finish behind them but they definitely there's still a chance there's still a chance for them to get that number 1 seed as i look at main schedule down the stretch here um they've got to play njit binghamton and then albany that's the last game of the regular season so we won't know how this goes until the end of it but uh, i would say the cats are in prime position for the 2 seed We'll see if they can get it. Again, outside chance at the one, though, and the main loss yesterday certainly goes a long way towards keeping that a reality. So we will see what happens. We'll talk to Emma Utterback from the UVM women's team again uh, next Tuesday. But a uh, nice night of Catamount Hoops. John Becker, the UVM men's basketball coach, will stop by in about 15 minutes or so. When we come back, one of our texters has an interesting idea for the Patriots at quarterback. What do you think about one Baker Mayfield being under center for New England? We'll talk about that. That's next on DV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio.com. John Becker, UVM men's basketball coach, is going to stop by in about uh, 15 minutes or so. We'll talk about the win last night and kind of talk about some of the uh, catamount news and notes as we head towards that final regular season stretch. Three games left. Big game on Saturday against Bryant. Danny Bryant is the team that's in second behind UVM right now, so we will see uh what happens. That's a seven o'clock start on Saturday. We've been in the Saturday afternoon mode at two PM. Now we're back to Saturday at seven, so we're in the prime time window. Uh one of our texters brought up a good point yesterday and brought up a good question they wanted to ask us, so we'll answer that now. 802-585-3026. Texter said, what do you think of Baker Mayfield as a potential quarterback for the Patriots in two thousand and twenty four? And Danny, I am I am completely against it. I am fully in young new quarterback mode. It's nothing against Baker, but I am in young, new quarterback mode. I'm also in cheap quarterback mode and build the roster around him. And Baker Mayfield won't be cheap anymore. And that's really kind of what this comes down to, isn't it? We're trying to get a very good quarterback at a great value. That's what I want. I want a five-year window where my quarterback is cheap, And I can go all in on spending around them. The Patriots have top five cap space this year. The new salary cap just came out for 2024. The Patriots are going to have like $80 million to spend. If I am paying my quarterback almost nothing, I can use almost the entirety of that $80 million to go out and make life easier for him in a lot of ways. Right? And if you go and pay Baker Mayfield, you are cutting into that $80 million. And frankly, I don't know that Baker is going to be that much better. Like, Baker with a lessened cast, I don't know that it's better than young quarterback, top three quarterback, with better cast. I like my odds looking at that way, looking at my way. Look, Baker was a phenomenal stopgap quarterback last year for the Buccaneers. They were in cap hell. Tom Brady had retired. He played on a deal that was one year and four million dollars and he got them to the playoffs. And that was great, great value. But you know what? Baker Mayfield's going to cost a lot more than four million dollars this year and he ain't taking a one year deal either. One, he very well might just go back to Tampa. I don't even know why we're really talking about this because I think he ends up back with the Bucks, but he's going to, wherever he ends up, he's going to cost significantly more than I want to pay him. Right? Geno Smith had a very good 2022 with the Seahawks. Geno Smith, who's less accomplished than Baker Mayfield. And Geno Smith got three years, $75 million from the Seahawks. $25 million a season. Do you want to pay Baker Mayfield three for 75? Do you want to pay him four for a 100? Like, that's what it's going to take probably. Now, it won't all be guaranteed, and it won't all be – You know, some of it will be tied to some incentives and things like that. Like, he won't get every bit of a $100 million. But do you want to be on the hook for $25 million a year to Baker Mayfield? No. I'd rather play my rookie quarterback less than $1 million, which is what's going to happen. Right? Like, that's how this is going to go. So Baker at $25 plus me not able to spend fully around him or my young quarterback at a mill – and seventy-nine million dollars more available to make life better around them. That—that is what I'm for. Okay, that is what I am for. So it's nothing against Baker. It's all about money, value, long-term control, and potential of the roster. Mac Jones, his rookie year, made six hundred and sixty thousand. He made one point three his second year. He made two million his third year. He's headed for two point eight next year. And then the fifth-year option kicks in if they wanted it, and it goes to $25 But you have four years where Mac is very, very cheap, and you have all five where he's as cheap or cheaper significantly than what Baker Mayfield will cost. Okay, It's not that Baker is awful. It's not that I don't want him. It's not that I don't like him. I do like Baker Mayfield. And I think he could bring a lot of good things to the Patriots. But at $25 million, I'm going to take my chance paying my rookie quarterback a million and then giving him everything he needs. And he needs multiple tackles. And he needs another running back. And he needs several wide receivers. And he needs two tight ends. And somewhere you're going to need some other guys on defense, right? Another pass rusher, another linebacker, another DB. They're going to cut Adrian Phillips. They're going to cut Lawrence Guy, they said. So you're going to need some help there, maybe in free agency, maybe in the draft. I don't want to spend any money on defense. Maybe your late-round draft picks, but I want to fully invest – in this offense, and Baker Mayfield at 25000000 million isn't going to do it for me, right? It's not going to do it for me. Danny, what do you think of of Baker versus what I had to say?
2: I was joking with you over the break, but I was saying Baker usually has a good season, falls it up with a bad one. So I, I don't know about him. He's been inconsistent. He's a good quarterback sometimes. So I, that's not worth a gamble to me.
0: Not worth a $25 million gamble? Like, no. if you could have had him... At the four million that Tampa got him at, well, then yeah, it would have been a great deal. But that deal's not there anymore, right? When the Seahawks had Geno Smith making no money for 2022, it was a great deal. It's a less good deal now. He's making 25 million. This is how this goes. When when a guy comes in to be your stopgap quarterback and plays well, he's going to get paid, and rightfully so. But I'd rather be the team that's giving the opportunity the first time than the team that's paying for the subsequent opportunities, and that's what the Patriots would be. Um Danny, on the quarterback front, right, we can talk about Baker all we want. I still want the quarterback in the draft. Mel Kuyper, longtime NFL Draft insider, says he also wants the quarterback of the draft for New England. Well, well, you take the the quarterback. I don't think you worry about those types of things. You protect your quarterback by, like Patrick Mahomes, that even play his first year when Kansas City was a playoff team with Alex Smith. Yeah, you look about, you know, Love sat for those three years. So to me, you can handle things differently than everybody else does based on your personnel. If you're afraid your quarterback's going to get hurt or he's not ready, you can handle that differently. You can obviously surround that quarterback. And Mac Jones, they kind of left the out to dry they said okay your offensive line is going to be bad we're going to get your receivers we're going to change coordinators we're not going to get out proven guys there after mcdaniel's left and here you are go do your job so they didn't give mac jones a fighting chance in new england right so again in new england what they have to do is improve those areas yes improve those areas and my 80 million dollars in cap space can help me do that my 80 million dollars in cap space can help me do that um Danny, there was something interesting I wanted to get to. We spent a lot of time yesterday talking about Alex Van Pelt's comments on the offense and what kind of system they're going to run. It's going to be the Brown system, et cetera. Well, Andrew Callahan of the Boston Herald says he generally likes that plan also, but he does say there's one fatal flaw with that offensive uh, philosophy. The issue for me is that offense is not built to play from behind. The Patriots, as a team that's going to be projected for five or six wins, is going to have to play from behind, and that's my issue here. Now, I think you have an exact point, like Mayo talking about, ooh, what do they do on third down? Well, they were in a lot of third downs, and nothing really clicked. So I think they're counting on Van as a culture builder, a culture driver, a developer, of quarterbacks. It's not
1: going to be the X's and O's, though, that put the Patriots over the top.
0: I can't worry about the offense not being built to play from behind, not next year. I need to be worried about insulating my young quarterback. All the things that Kuiper just said they didn't do for Mac Jones, I need to do for whoever my young quarterback is. I, and the thing that people are not realizing is, is that they are trying to get the Patriots from four wins to 13 wins in one year. Well, yeah, if you're trying to go to that, you don't, you're going to need an offense that can be explosive enough to come back. You're going to need to be able to come back from 10 nothing down, et cetera. I am not trying to do that. I am trying to have this next year be kind of a one-year buffer where I am interesting, where I am competitive, where maybe I can get to the playoffs, but I'm not expecting you to be Super Bowl ready. I'm not. Look, I, I want this thing to turn around quick, but I'm also realistic. Right? Look at what happened with Mac Jones in, the, in his rookie year. They went 10-7. and and they got to the playoffs, and then they got blown out. I would be fine with that this year for the Patriots in 2024. I would be fine with that. What I would need, then, is the ability to add on to it in 2025 subsequently like they didn't do for Mac. So if the Patriots come out this year and finish 9-8, and eight, I'm, I'm cool with it. And if they have a chance to make the playoffs, right? So, yeah, there might be a game where they're where they're down 17-3 and they can't come back. Well, okay, I've got them losing. I'm okay with them losing seven or eight games as it is. That just might happen. There's also going to be a couple of games where I hope they get up 10-0 and they put the vice grip on somebody and they don't allow them to come back in a game because their offense is ball control, run, play action, etc. I'm not worried about their inability to come back all season long. If they win eight games, nine games, ten games, and they're fringy playoff relevant or maybe get there as the seventh seed, I'm cool with how they got there. What I need then is expansion. What I need then is in 2025 them to have the ability to add on to the offense. What I will want and will expect in 2025 is if you win your nine games, can you win 11 now? Can you win 12 now? And when you do that, okay, Now we add a little more explosion. Now we add a little more home run. Now we add the ability to go a little quicker. I I am fine with this year's offense looking like the Cleveland Browns, looking like the Tennessee Titans. We're going to run. We're going to have a good offensive line. We're going to get the ball to our tight ends. We're going to have multiple, you know, play action wrinkles. And we're going to be, you know, have elements of explosion. But I get that the offense is going to be, look, you know, this way. Then the next year, I expect you to still be able to do that stuff, but also be able to be a little more quick strike. And I expect you to add on as your quarterback gets better. I don't, I don't want the, if this quarterback is stuck playing this way for five years, then that's not a good thing. But if you can play this way one year and then add on and grow, then I'm all for it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM Radio dot com. So I'm not worried about Andrew Callahan's. Um, you know, problems with the offense this year uh, I know we've got Danny do we have to take a break right now I know we got JB getting ready to call it we don't need to take a break okay so let's go right out to the phone line because Danny tells me we do have John Becker now so I'm glad we can get right to him John Becker the UVM men's basketball coach talked a lot about the catamounts earlier in the show 12 and run one right now in league play they beat Albany last night by a score of 94 to 80 to move to 12 and one and they're closing in on another America East uh, championship, at least here in the regular season. JB, congratulations on the win. Congrats on the success so far. And uh, thanks for being with us. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me, Brady. I appreciate you being with us. Let's talk about last night first before we get to some big picture stuff. Um, very interesting game. Much higher scoring than we've seen out of this group, um, both offensively and defensively this season. First half. Were you comfortable playing in that track meet or was it uncomfortably fast? I mean,
1: yeah, it felt good. I mean, it felt good to score points and, and put up some points. You know, it's been a lot of, uh, you know, 20 point halves that, that have been frustrating for everybody, but, um, but I wasn't comfortable defensively. Tyler Bertram was unbelievable, uh, sprinting off screens, making tough threes and, um, you know, they can really score the ball and, and, um, Uh, so that side of the ball, I was a little bit, uh, disappointed, you know, going back and watching the tape, you know, I got to tip my hat to, to, to Tyler and, 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 and their offense, uh, a little bit, but, um, yeah, it was good to get up and down and score a little bit. And, uh, but in the second half, um, you know, they cut it to two and, and, uh, and then we, uh, you know, I, I decided to go zone and, and I thought that ended up, uh, you know, breaking their rhythm a little bit, but, uh, it got, it got closer.
0: Six players for your team in double figures. We haven't seen that since 2022. Certainly a rarity, a very good uh, scoring distribution last night from a bunch of guys.
1: Yeah. And that's how we play. You know, we like to share the ball and, 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 uh, and, uh, find the, find the right shot, find the great shot and, uh, Last night we had a lot of great opportunities and, and left a bunch out there, you know. Um um but but yeah, the guys share the ball really, really well and are unselfish and, and um you know, a lot of guys cashed in last night.
0: You know, I've been trying to figure this out all season, and I go back and forth on it, so I want your opinion on this. It's really cool that this team has the has this kind of anybody-can-beat-you-on-any-given-night kind of game, right? Someone can go for 20 one night and two the next night, and it can be totally reversed the next game. Do you like kind of that not knowing, but everybody can get involved? Or did you kind of like it when, like, we knew Lamb and Treyville Haynes were going for 15, or we knew Benny and Ryan were going for 15, and it was kind of more set in stone as to what was going to happen?
1: yeah i mean i I have talked to our our best players about being a little bit more consistent. It would be nice to know um yeah, you're gonna get a certain amount of production from guys night to night uh that being said, I think you know with our motion offense and 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 the way we play um you know it, it's gonna find different guys on different nights and so um yeah, I think there was a point this year we had six straight games where we had a different leading score, which is very unique um and so, and then teams, you know, are, are, are taking away guys. The two TJs have, have, you know, seen a lot of, you know, running them off the line and, and forcing them to do other stuff. AD's seen various different coverages and, and in general, teams are making it really hard when the ball hits the paint, just running at the ball. And so, um, you know, sometimes, you know, a lot of times the defense is just dictating, what what we're getting offensively and and um you know for the most part I guys have done a really good job with that in in uh and making good reads and and um you know you know, a lot of nights that's just the defense dictating, um, you know, where and how we're going to score.
0: You've often talked about wanting to get kind of down to like an eight man rotation by the time the playoffs come. You're generally there right now. We didn't see Jace Rockamore last night. So he's kind of like the main ninth guy in there, but do you feel pretty good where you're at rotationally right now in terms of who's playing, how much and what roles people are filling as we get towards the playoffs?
1: Yeah, I like the, I like the rotation and, and, uh, Jace was under the weather last night and, and the, the flu, uh, is making its way through our team and hopefully has made its way through our team at this point. But, uh, but Jace stayed back last night and hopefully he'll be, uh, back on Saturday because he has become a really, really important, uh, part of our rotation. But yeah, I like the, the nine man rotation with Samuel Alamutu kind of as a ninth guy can play various positions and, um, you know, and, and so I thought, I think he's played well. So yeah, I like the I like the nine man rotation. Um, and, um, you know, we're still, you know, it, it's still a feel thing for me with the rotation. So night to night, uh, you know, depending on how guys get off to, you know, the, the start, of the first half we'll, we'll adjust, but we have a lot of, line up flexibility, um, you know, with some big guards and, um, and our bigs are all playing well now and, and Sammy able to play kind of in the front court and in the back court. Uh, we have, we have a lot of ability to, to kind of play small, play big, uh, play athletic, play defensive-minded groups and offensive-minded groups. And so it's been a fun team to coach in that sense.
0: John Becker, UVM men's basketball coach, his team 12-1 and right now inside America East play. Closing in, we hope, on another America East regular season title. He's here on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Handful of games ago, you made the decision to move Matt Varetto out of the starting lineup, but still plays, still brings you some productivity, he hit a couple of threes last night. How have you tried to find a, you know, a way to get him going? Cause it's certainly been a little tougher for him this year with his shot consistency.
1: Yeah, I mean Matt, you know, is is has seen a lot of attention this year, you know, uh, on how he finished up last year and the threat he is behind the three point line. So uh teams are just switching everything he's involved in, forcing him uh to kind of play in the paint, um, where we try to attack uh the switch that way and, and he's done a good job for the most part. Um and it was really nothing that Matt did to to kind of uh, be taken out of the starting lineup. I just thought we were getting off the slow starts and, and trying some different stuff. Um, as far as with the starting lineup and, um, you know, I thought our best passers, uh, our most vocal kind of guys were all coming off the bench and AD, Nick and, and, uh, Jace. And so, um, just putting, uh, Nick into that starting lineup, see if it, it could help jumpstart us a little bit. Um, and, uh, it's been fine. It's been fine. And and so, like you said, Matt's, um, you know, you know, getting a different look, so to speak. And I think he's played pretty well.
0: I've said this throughout the year, and I think it's kind of borne out to me to be true every time through the year I've said it. This feels like the most athletic team that you've had in the eight years, at least that I've been around the program. Does it feel like that way to you? And what does the athleticism do for this group?
1: yeah I mean I think that's a fair thing to say. I mean, certainly with Elyria and Shamir I mean they just jump off uh you know off the screen or if you're at the game I mean just the way they move i mean they they have been uh tremendous um uh defensively and uh you know have kind of spearheaded you know one of our best defensive teams that I've had, and so um you know and, and so yeah i mean athleticism is is obviously an important part of our game and and it is great um uh to have and and uh I'm still you know learning you know ways to take advantage of it um you know i thought last night with that zone uh with Elyria in the middle and Shamir up top you know we basically uh were able to have our two best defenders involved uh on the ball uh for a majority of the possession and so um so you know, and Shamir's been basically a one-man press. It's been un- fascinating to watch. I mean, uh, he just can really control the game on that side of the ball. He's as, uh, a good a defender of a, as I've coached. And Aliri's kind of an awkward defender, you know, but the, in some of his movements, but he's just so long and active and, and kind of relentless. I mean, um, you know, I was just thinking about this morning, you know, um, I mean, they're they're just so unique both of them, and, and so effective, both of them. You know, you, you want to pick one of them as the best defender, and it, it's a really difficult task.
0: You know, at various points of the year, I've lamented the team not getting to the line as much as as maybe it's years past. Other yeah. points of the year, the team has struggled at the line, 11 of 20, I think, in that NJIT loss yesterday. You go 22 of 28, you got there, and you hit them. Is Is getting to the line more a focus, or is it just a product of last night's game individually?
1: Well, I think last night is just say, we're fouling at the end of the game, which got our free throw numbers up. And, and, um, but yeah, that's certainly been been something that we haven't done as well in past seasons. There's no doubt about that. Um, although the league, you know, if you look at our league numbers, we've, we've made more free throws than our opponents have attempted. So we've done a great job of playing defense without fouling. Um, but overall our free throw attempts, uh, you know, to field goal attempts is, is, is down, uh, from what it's normally been. And I think that's just a product. We don't really have a back to the basket guy, you know? And I, and I think that's been, um, a little bit of the difference this year when, when you watch us play is we're a little bit more three point shooting reliant, um, and, uh, and, and we don't have a guy we can kind of dump it into and, and, and play off of. And, and last year was the first year we didn't have a big guy that we could do that with. Um, and, but we use Robin and Dylan in that manner. And as the years progressed here, you know, we've started to use Shamir in that same way to get the ball inside the defense and, and, um, you know, that's, uh, you know, and Shamir's done a great job, um, you know, of, of, of kind of playing off of that. And he drew a lot of doubles last night when, and got the ball out. And we're playing four on three on the backside. So, you know, he, he's, uh, you know, and Shamir is the first time Shamir's played point guard full time. And, uh, I don't think it can, uh, be understated just how how fast he's learned the position and how effective he's become at the position. I mean, he's a, he's a sponge and he's an incredible kid, incredible player. And, and um, you know, he's, he's starting uh to really start to dominate these games.
0: You know, I I know they're both left-handed, but I tweeted this out last night. Like, Dylan Penn was so good and so strong going to the basket last year left. I don't know that I've ever seen anybody as good as Shamira just going to their strong hand. And he's able to finish on that side. He's able to spin back and finish with the offhand. There were like five possessions against Maine in the game you were out sick where I think he was the only one who shot just backing somebody down in the post and going to the hoop. Like, his ability to go left and then make the right decision off of that is very, very impressive to me.
1: Yeah, that's all been you know uh that's all been learned here at vermont and and something that he's continuing to learn kind of on the on the fly and um yeah dylan was another great lefty that we had last year probably more skilled more of a score had a little bit more of a finishing package with both hands and um just more of an experienced score coming from Bellarmine and uh but um shamir's bigger probably more explosive uh you know and um but uh yeah both really really good players
0: you got your 300th win uh, a couple of games ago i, I enjoyed your post game comments after the game said it's been uh, quite a journey and quite a ride
1: yeah no thank you yeah it's been it's been incredible and hard to believe and and uh you know i'm really humbled and and uh, just grateful for the opportunity Vermont's given me grateful that, um, so many great players have, have trusted their careers in coming here. And, and, um, I've been blessed and, uh, to have unbelievable assistance through the years that have, uh, you know, really made me look good. And, and, um, so, yeah, I appreciate you saying that it's been, uh, it's been, uh, an incredible journey and, and, uh, one that, uh, it's the, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's my life and it's my body of work and, and, um, I'm looking forward to hopefully many more years.
0: And a big game uh, against Brian at home coming up on, on uh, Saturday night. So in the primetime seven o'clock window, you know, we're out of the two o'clock zone. We're into the seven o'clock zone. And uh, this is the team that's nipping at your heels right now in the conference standing. So it should be a fun one Saturday night coach.
1: Yeah, it should be a great game Saturday night. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad it's a seven o'clock. It's nice to get a couple extra hours. Um, you know, we didn't have any of these split weekends and then we've had two in a row the last two weekends, uh, where we have one on the road, one at home. Um, I'm glad this one, the the home games on the back end, uh, the games at seven, hopefully we have a great turnout. And, um, you know, before we get off, I just want to say what an incredible win for our women's team last night. Yeah. I mean, I mean, a convincing fashion against a really good Albany team. And, um, you know, they're, they're fighting for their seed and, and, uh, put themselves back in position to, um, to, to potentially, uh, win the regular season. Uh, um, and, uh, they've just had an incredible year. Uh, the swimming and diving team at UVM wins their first America East championship. So incredible things happening up on the Hill here at, at UVM and, and I'm um, really proud of, the, of those teams. And um especially, you know, the women's basketball team, we're really close with and, and and we're rooting like heck for them.
0: Well, we're certainly rooting for both Catamount teams. Catamount's on the men's side, 12 and one women's team, 11 and three handful of games to go inside the league. So coach Beckerman, appreciate the time. Good luck on Saturday and we'll catch up here. Uh, we'll catch up here soon.
1: Yeah. Brady. Thanks for all the coverage, man. Really appreciate uh you know what you've done, what you do for for the sports community in our town, and, and thanks again.
0: I appreciate that. Also, very very nice of uh, of Coach Sean Becker to say. Yeah, the men twelve in one right now. They've got the inside track on the number one seed in the America East Conference tournament. Again, if they win on Saturday against Bryant, they'll at least get a share of the regular season title. The women are eleven and three, but they were helped out massively by UMBC beating Maine yesterday. So Maine is eleven and two. Albany's 11-2, and and then UVM is 11-3. and So UVM right now is in the third spot. Weird, you know, the tiebreakers are involved here, right? Maine has beaten UVM twice. That's a problem. UVM has beaten Albany twice. That obviously is good. Look, I would love for UVM to somehow snake the one seed out of this. I don't know that they're going to be able to because Maine has beaten them twice. It would require some wonky things to happen. But if they could at least get the two and get themselves a home game in the quarters and the semis and then you have to go on the road to Maine potentially well you know that would be uh um, well that that would be more advantageous obviously the best thing would be to have everything all at once uh, at your place but we will see What happens? It's the Pretty Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. I'm looking forward to that UVM and Bryan game coming up on Saturday night. Uh, we'll come and recap a little bit of what Coach Becker had to say and we'll get into the Celtics who had a win last night against the Bulls. What was Jason Tatum saying after the game about the MVP race? That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and wdevradio.com. Radio.com. Welcome back to the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio.com. We're up for just a couple more minutes, and then it's high school basketball boys playoff action. Montpelier and Lake Region, that is Division 3 We'll have Brent Curtis on the call there. And Again, girls' high school basketball regular season, I believe, wraps up this weekend. We'll have brackets for you next week, but we're into the throes of the playoffs in hockey and in boys' hoops, girls' hoops, soon to come. I want to thank John Becker again for stopping by. Danny, the thing I've been trying to figure out all year is, is it better for this team to have a variety of scores or, like, two certainties every single night? And there's a benefit to both. Becker says, like, I like, you know, not knowing necessarily who's going to be. But he did say, I would like some more consistency from our top players I think that's kind of where I am at as well. I, Danny, I do like the certainty of knowing who's going to lead my team on every night. It is fun to see that one guy can go for twenty-seven one game, and you know another guy can go for twenty the next game. But I do like the certainty of it all.
2: Of course, my mic's not turning on. Yes. <laughs>
0: um, I just, you know, it's hard. I did. You know, we should I think play through Bogues,
2: though. Is what I'm thinking from now on.
0: Think about it like the Celtics, right? They have six guys that can really lead the team in scoring on any given night, right? Tatum, Brown, Porzingis, Holiday, White. Maybe that's five, but nonetheless, like they have um, they have multiple guys who can lead the team on any given night. Do you like the idea of that uneven nature, or would you rather? Okay, Tatum's gonna get thirty every night, Brown's gonna get twenty five every night, and then the other three kind of go amongst themselves.
2: Yeah, for sports betters, it's not great, but I like the idea that anybody can take over. Because if somebody's having a bad night, you have other options.
0: I think what I want to see from UVM is, like, Bogues gets 14 a game. I want to see, like, Long get 14 a game. And then the other three guys are always in the mix. Right, like maybe Deloney's the third guy one game, maybe Varetto's the third guy one game, maybe Fiorillo's the third guy one game. I do like the idea of consistency. I I don't like the uneven nature of like, well Deloney's gonna get 28 this game and 3 the next. And, and Long's gonna get 18 one game and 2 the next. And Varetto's gonna go off for 17 and the next day he's not gonna score. I, I, that makes my blood pressure, uh, raise a little bit, Danny. I like some level. Of consistency.
2: I think if they're all aggressive though and playing the right way, then the right shots will come.
0: I do think you're right though that Bogues is the key to this, right? You talk about like playing through Bogues. He's the guy that makes the engine go, and I got to give him credit on his physical conditioning because the level of defense that he plays, and Becker just called him, I think, the best defensive player he's had at UVM. To expend that much energy on defense, to play against the other team's best player, to be as active as he is, and run the point and score, that takes a, a, a big level of physical conditioning. And, you know, he led the way yesterday with 17. He had seven assists. His ability to go to the basket, his ability to finish with the left hand, his ability to snake inside the lane. He's not a great shooter. He doesn't try to be a great shooter. He's much more of a get-to-the-lane guy in the way we saw Dylan Penn last year do it for UVM as a transfer. But, uh, you know, I just I think you're right. Bogues is the guy that kind of makes everything go. I think that's I think that's fair to say. And uh, if he goes, they'll go. This is the Brady Farkas show on DEV. Danny, we got about ninety seconds left. I really wanted to get to this Jason Tatum MVP talk. We're not going to have a chance to do that today. Hopefully, we can do it on Monday. But uh, your thoughts quickly. Celtics win yesterday, one big. I think one twenty nine to one twelve. They covered the eight and a half point spread. Put up nearly one hundred and thirty. Uh, I know you watched every play of it. What do you think of the seas?
2: Yeah, other than a bad second quarter, the rest of the game they played the way they should. Good defense, so, good offense, you know?
0: No complaints overall.
2: No, I mean, not really. I mean, a second quarter was back and forth and they let a lead slip away. They were actually down at halftime, but you win a game by 14 or whatever. You can't complain too much.
0: I saw a bunch of metrics yesterday and I don't remember, I don't have them in front of me now, but it said like, these would be good metrics for an 82 game season. And it said, this is what the Celtics are in their last 82 road games. Like that's how far ahead of the curve they are. Like just their road ability is championship caliber. So hopefully they can uh, bring that to the home front where they've struggled in the playoffs the last couple of years at home, right? Losing to Atlanta last year. They've lost to Miami twice last season. So we'll see what happens if the Celtics do have the best record in the NBA. Uh, Red Sox won their spring training opener today. They played against Northeastern. Final score was 7-2. Only one guy in the 40-man roster played in that game, David Hamilton, the shortstop. So hopefully we'll see kind of the main crew tomorrow when they play. I want to say it's Baltimore, but Tom Caron sounded really good on the Neston broadcast. I watched uh, a handful of innings of that. Uh, high school basketball is next. Go download the podcast. Thanks to Danny. Thanks to Coach Becker. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you on Monday on DEV.